That's good. Oh, amen. What a delight to be here and see friends that we've known for 35 years. Missed these last two Decembers, and, uh, but I'm glad to be back. Before I begin to uh, teach this morning, I just want to encourage the church. Y'all have been entrusted with a whole lot in this church. There's, there's been tremendous amounts of revelation that has come uh, in this house and uh, lots of ministry that's deposited in this house. I, just, I want to encourage y'all just to give it away. Give it away. Uh, there's so many people out there that are uh, in need, and, and this house has so much. And, and, and you, guys, you guys can give it away. You can give it away. Praise God. I, uh, one, one of my regrets of coming uh, at this time is every year uh, in our church, for 18 years now, and it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger, uh, we have a unique outreach in San Marcos. Uh, the, the, the city of San Marcos does a big Christmas uh, extravaganza called the Sights and Sounds of Christmas. It's downtown on the river, on the San Marcos River. And they have allowed us, this is a remarkable thing because many communities, you can't even put up a Christmas tree or mention the name of Jesus. They have allowed us to build the whole city of Bethlehem and to preach the gospel to 30,000 people who come through that, that city in three nights. And it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. We actually build the whole city. We build a wall. We have a wall that encircles the city. We have an archway gate with two angels standing there with holding swords as people flow in by the hundreds and hundreds through that archway. Uh, we have the nativity scene with the baby Jesus and all of that. We have live animals. We have a carpenter shop where people are allowing the, helping the children make toys. This year they made a star and they're telling them about what the star is about. It's about the star at Christmas and that we sang about this morning. We have a bread shop where they, the people are allowed to ha- actually make bread, knead bread, and they tell them about Jesus, the bread of life. Uh, we, we have a potter who's over here on the potter's wheel molding that, telling people about how God wants to mold your life and to use it and make it into something beautiful. All these things. I mean, we have all these shops. Uh, in the center is a stage and choirs are singing about Jesus the whole time. Uh, the, the, two years ago, I was telling Dorm, we, 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 we added a new shop to all the others that we have called the synagogue. And uh, now all of us are in costume. Everybody that ministers is in costume. We're in, we're in ancient, ancient costume. And we have a sign out there in front, learn the principle, the ancient principle of the Hebrew blessing. Bring your children into the synagogue to receive a blessing. And uh, so I, I got to work at fr- Wednesday and Thursday night before I came. Hundreds of children, their parents are bringing them into that synagogue. And we explained the principle, the blessing. I said, you know, some people curse their children. Call them dummy, stupid, you're never going to do anything right and all that. I said, you can bless your children. And we're going to show you how. And we pronounced the ancient uh, Hebrew priestly blessing on the Lord. Bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. And then we lay hands on them and began to pray over them and begin to prophesy over these children. And all these things are happening. It's awesome. I can't believe that we're getting the opportunity to do this. My grandson led four of them to the Lord. The little 13-year-old grandson led four of them to the Lord the other night right there in the synagogue. And it's a wonderful opportunity. And I was standing out there the other night watching these thousands of people flow through. And I was thinking, Here, here's our church. It's not a real big church. And here we're having influence on 30,000 people who are hearing the gospel. There's a few other churches that help us a little, but you know how that goes. Uh, it, when it's your program, you carry the lion's share, about 95% of the work. But also, I was talking to my son, Tim. He said, Dad, the wonderful thing is we've mobilized over 100 people in the church who are actually ministering. 
Not, not just us, the preachers doing it. A hundred people out there sharing the gospel. And some are cutting wood for the fire, the fire pots that are out there. Some are singing. Some, it, it, you guys have been given so much. You all have an understanding that a lot of places don't. Give it away. Find creative ways to give it away, praise God. I can hardly wait to get home Wednesday night. Uh, another one of our outreaches uh, during this season is, is we, take, we, we put together some beautiful Christmas baskets. Uh, I mean, lots of stuff in it. And we divide up into three groups in the church. We come to the church, we eat chili, and then we divide up in three groups, and we take these hundreds of baskets that we have. And we head out to different parts of the city, some to the poor section, some not to the poor section, and we go from door to door, giving them these Christmas gifts, singing a Christmas carol to them, and then we, we step up there and we say, is there anything in your life or family that we can pray for you about? Almost always they say yes. And so we begin to pray, and we begin to prophesy, and all kinds of things begin to happen. People turn to Jesus. We've got people in our church now who were reached through that's going house to house, singing the gospel and presenting them a Christmas gift. You people here have much Give it away. Give it away. Praise God. The more you give it away, the more it comes back. I know that. Praise God. That's just an exhortation for you before we start up teaching this morning. But it's great to be here. Great to see uh, Darwin and Jana again and so many friends. And uh, what I want to preach this morning is not new to you, but I think it will help some of you put some things in, 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 in perspective. So we pray, Father, for your anointing in preaching and teaching the Word of God this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the revelation and the understanding that has come to this people, Lord, through the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, that you'll help us this morning now to open up the Bible. And, Lord, we just, we just, we just lean and heavy upon the author of the Bible, the Holy Spirit, this morning to help, us, to help us to understand and to grasp and to do your word. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Let's begin in the first chapter of the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1. Of course, you know the book of Romans is written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Rome, a church that he had actually never visited. He is not the, he is not the planter of this church. He did, not, he, it did not start the Roman church. But he, thought, he has always wanted to go there and to teach and to preach in that church. And he says in verse 13, I want you to know, brethren, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. For I am a debtor, both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. And I believe as Paul is dictating this to his scribe, when he says the word Rome, I'm eager to preach the gospel to those of you who are in Rome. Probably a little intimidation struck his heart as he thought about Rome. Rome, the capital of the empire. Rome, the the nerve center of the whole known world. Rome, the city of games and government and gladiators. Rome, the city of power and pollution. Rome, the city of circuses and sin and senators. And as the awesomeness of the thought of Rome came in upon him, I believe he felt a little intimidation. And then I'm sure that the Holy Spirit began to quicken to him what he had seen the gospel do 
as he'd gone all over the world preaching about Jesus. I'm sure he began to remember when he went to Philippi. There he was in confusion, not knowing where to go next, not having the leadership of the Holy Spirit on the next step. And then God comes to him in that vision and he sees a man from Macedonia saying, come over into Macedonia and help us. And for the first time, Paul and the apostolic team cross over to the European continent. And for the first time, the gospel is preached in Europe. They go first to a ladies' prayer meeting down by the river. And there, a wealthy woman named Lydia opens her heart to the Lord Jesus as they present the gospel to her. And then, you know the story as they're going about the city ministering. The slave girl begins to follow them. And under this wrong spirit of divination is making all these noises. And finally, Paul gets enough of it, casts the demon out of her. Out of that comes a riot. They end up in jail, and then revival hits the jailhouse. Praise God. And before it's over, the jailer and his whole family are on their knees saying, what must we do to be saved? Praise God. And out of that, a powerful church arises on the European continent in the city of Philippi. The gospel had done that. And then Paul probably began to think, as the Holy Spirit quickened him, about Corinth and how he had gone into the city of Corinth, a seaport city, a very wicked city, a city where... Uh, every night, a thousand temple prostitutes flooded the streets of Corinth to sell their bodies. And it's into that intimidating situation he had gone determined to preach Christ crucified and nothing else. And as they went in there preaching the gospel, God began to save all of these people in their depth of sin so that some who would, even who had been homosexuals could say, such were some of you. And now they're all a part of a vital, functioning, spirit-filled, charismatic, Holy Ghost church, praise God. And as he begins to think about these victories that he'd seen the gospel to perform, I'm sure confidence began to rise in his heart. And now he pins that 16th verse, which is the theme of the book of Romans, where it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. That's Paul's way of saying, I'm proud of the gospel. I am proud of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. And so as, as Paul is thinking about what he's seen the gospel done, that beautiful verse just flows out of his spirit, out of his mouth, and he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm proud of the gospel. It's God's power. It's God's dynamite, praise God, to bring people into salvation. Not just the forgiveness of their sins. Yes, that's part of the salvation. But into all that God wants to do in our lives, praise God, to bring them into salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Praise God. You know, there is much, much confusion today in the church as to what the gospel is. Let me, let me share a few things with you that the gospel is not. First of all, the gospel is not a philosophy of life. The gospel is not a system of ethics and behavior. The gospel is not good advice. The gospel is not a legalistic list of do's and don'ts. So that sister, if you'll just take that makeup off and lower your hymn line, God will love you and hear your prayers. That's not the gospel. And let me go a step further. The gospel is not even anointed preaching and teaching on Christian living. Sometimes we go to come to church and the, and the pastor opens the Bible 
and he preaches a wonderful message to us about how as citizens of our country. Now, we know we're citizens of heaven, but we have to live in an earthly country right now. As citizens of our earthly country, we need to be good citizens. Uh, We need to vote. We need to function as as responsibly as citizens within our nation. And uh, we leave saying, Woo, we really heard the gospel today. No, you didn't. You heard a good Bible teaching on the subject of Christian citizenship. Or we go to church and the pastor very capably opens the Bible and he teaches and preaches about the Christian family. And he talks about how the man should be the head of the home and the wife should be in submission to her husband and the children should be obedient to their parents and that love should motivate the whole home. And we leave saying, Whoo, boy, we got the gospel today. No, you didn't. You got a good Bible teaching about the Christian home. And on and on and on. Or we go to church and the pastor does such a good job opening up this, principle, this Bible and talking about kingdom economics, about God's finances, how to get out of debt, and all of that. And uh, we say, whoo, man, we got the gospel today. No, you didn't. You got a good Bible teaching about finance and Christian kingdom economics. But you did not hear the gospel. Now, here's what the gospel is. Please hear me plainly. The gospel is good news about Jesus. The gospel is the preaching of Christ. The gospel is the proclamation of the redemptive Christ event. The gospel always centers in the person and the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel is good news about His virtuous life his vicarious death, his victorious resurrection, and his vital ascension into the heavenlies where he has sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high and makes intercession for all those who call upon his name. That is the gospel, praise God. It always centers in the person and the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look right across the page. Romans verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1. Paul says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, the gospel concerning his Son. May I just stop there a minute? The gospel always concerns his Son. The gospel concerning his Son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and marked out or designated or declared Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. The gospel always concerns His Son. I just finished preaching for two and a half years from the book of Acts, preaching on the subject of building God's house God's way. And I think I have a pretty good understanding of the book of Acts. And I want to challenge you this morning. Go to the book of Acts and study apostolic preaching. Study the preaching. Actually, take the sermons of the apostles. I'll tell you what they're preaching. They're not preaching on how to get your finances in order. They are preaching about the one who lived and died and rose again and now is king in the universe. They're preaching the gospel. They're preaching about Jesus. Now, there is a clear distinction in the book of Acts between the teaching of the apostles and the preaching of the apostles. 
They're teaching the apostles' doctrine or the apostles' teaching. That's where they're teaching the people how to live. They're teaching them the Christian principles. They're teaching them how to grow up. But they're preaching always centers in the person and the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God. The gospel concerning His Son. Now, in the four gospels of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we have the historical event of the gospel recorded. It's, it's, it's the gospels that tell us what happened in the natural that you can see with your eyes. It tells us what happened uh, historically on that fateful day. It's the gospels that tell us that they, they actually took a whip and tore the back of Jesus. It's the, gospel, it's the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, who tell us that they put a crown of thorns upon his head and they took rods and beat him, driving those thorns into his skull. It's the Gospels that tell us that they took him, drove the nails through his hand into a Roman cross and dropped it into its socket. It's, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John who record the actual historical event. And we need to preach on the historical event. But let me go on to say, the Gospel is more than just the telling of the historical event. It is the epistles the epistles that give us the spiritual significance of the historical event. It is the epistles that unveil... You won't find in the epistles much about the details of the crucifixion. They just simply say He died. But it's in the epistles, praise God, that we find out what happened in the spiritual realm when Jesus died and rose again. It's in these epistles that we discover the good news about what happened to sin... What happened to the flesh of the old man? What happened to sickness, praise God? What happened to poverty? What happened to rejection? What happened to the curse? What happened to the devil? That's all unveiled in the epistles. And that, that is the, that's the gospel. It's good news. Can I say to you this morning that this Bible is full of good news about what happened to sin? Praise God. Does it not tell us in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 that he who knew no sin was made to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him? He who knew no sin was made to be sin. That means the sinless one takes on our sin. Just as in that Old Testament when they brought that animal to the priest and he laid his hands upon him symbolically imputing the sins of the nation into that animal. So Jesus not symbolically took it, but in reality, the sinless one now begins to take on the sin of the world upon himself. That means that every, every wicked war crime ever committed met upon him that day. Every dirty, vile act of Sexual abuse to children came on the sinless one that day. Every vile curse word ever to come from the lips of man came upon him that day. All blasphemy, all wickedness, all crime, all hatred, all jealousy, all of it met upon him that day. So the Bible can go as far as to say he actually became Sin, the one who knew no sin, became 
sin for us. Can you imagine what that must have been like when you had never sinned? The one who was sinless, the one who was pure, now takes on all the filth and the dirt of the fallen race of Adam. And as he hangs upon that cross, the sinless one now is the one who has become odious in the sight of God. The sinless one has become the one who now is an abomination in the sight of God. The sinless one now is the one that God must judge so that, praise God, in exchange I will become the one he will not have to judge. Hallelujah. Praise God. Oh, my. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 53, it says he was wounded for our transgressions. The word there is literally pierced. He was pierced for our transgressions. You say, Brother Jimmy, what is a transgression? It's just stepping over the line. It's, it's, it's a deliberate stepping over the line. He was pierced for our transgressions, for our sins. And if you study the Bible, you realize that he was pierced by the thorns, by the nails, and by the spear. He was pierced by the thorns in the head for the transgressions of our mind. For all of our dirty, wicked, stinking thinking, he was pierced by the thorns for the transgressions of our mind. He was pierced in the hands and feet by the nails. He was pierced in the hands for all the wicked things that we've ever put our hand to. He was pierced to the feet for the crookedness of our walk before God. And he was pierced by the spear in the heart into the cardiac cavity where water and blood came forth for the transgressions of our heart. Pierced for the transgressions of our mind by the thorns and our hands by the nails for all the wicked things that we put our hand to. Pierced by the nails in our feet for our crooked walk and pierced in the heart for the sins of our heart. And he hangs there now, full of sin, the one whom God must judge. Praise God. But brother, I want to tell you, that's good news. That's good news. Can I just say this? There is not a sin problem now with God. It has been thoroughly and completely and utterly dealt with. Praise God. So that my sins were judged in the person of my representative. And now I can walk in this new righteous standing that has been imputed unto me. Praise God. Given unto me in that beautiful exchange. Praise God. That's good news. Oh, but the Bible is also, the gospel is also good news concerning the old man or the old nature or the flesh or whatever you want to call it. The Bible says in Romans 6, 6, knowing this, a lot of people don't know this, knowing this, our old man, our old selfish, stubborn, Adamic man was crucified, past tense, once for all, was crucified with him, praise God. Now, wouldn't that make sense? Transgressions or sins, those are the fruit. But this Adamic nature this old man, this old fleshly man, that, that's the root. Say it another way. This old man is the factory producing this corrupt product. Wouldn't it be foolish of God to deal with the product or the fruit and not deal with the root? But God is thorough. God is complete. He's utterly wise so that when, when Jesus died that day, He not only put all our sins on Him, He put us in Him. 
He took the old Adamic man, put him in Christ, and nailed him to the cross. Now, you've heard this before, but hear it again. Adam was beyond fixing. Adam couldn't be fixed. No amount of patchwork, no amount of fixing up could deal with Adam. God said, no, he's got to die. And a new creation, a new race arise who loves the will and the word and the ways of God Almighty. Praise God. So I got good news for you. That old selfish, stubborn, stinking man, he died with Jesus. And we don't have to live in him. We, don't have, we can live in the new creation that we really are in Christ Jesus our King. That's the gospel. Praise God. That's good news. But the, also the gospel is good news about sickness. It's good news about sickness. Matthew 8 and verse 7, 17. That's such an important New Testament commentary on the Old Testament. Jesus, there in Capernaum, had gone into Peter's house, and there was his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. Let me just add this. If Peter was the first priest, a first uh, pope, he was married because right. he had a mother-in-law. And she's sick with a fever. And he lays his hands on her. The fever leaves her and she's healed. And Matthew says, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. That he himself took our infirmities and bore our diseases. It's so important that we understand what Matthew saw here. The majority of the church today, the majority of the church that believes that Isaiah 53 all deals with spiritual sickness. It deals only with sin, spiritual sickness. Matthew tells us, no, no. It also deals with the physical. It deals with disease. Let me say this about that mother-in-law. She didn't have a spiritual fever. She had a fever caused by an infection. She was sick, and Jesus healed her. And this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah. That's good news, isn't it? Isn't that good news? That wonderful verse in Isaiah, that Isaiah 53 and verse 4. Let me just read it. Y'all, y'all, you guys all know it, but it's so, it's so wonderful. It's such a wonderful gospel. Surely he, Jesus, just surely, amen, surely, surely he, Jesus, Messiah, has borne our griefs. And, and we, we've all learned, we know what that word means. It's, basic, it's, it's the basic Hebrew word for sickness. He has borne our sickness. But let, let me just tell you, the, it's a big word. It's full of meaning. Here, here's the actual meaning of that word griefs. He has borne our afflictions, maladies, anxieties, calamities, diseases, and sicknesses. All that's in there. He's borne it and carried our sorrows. That's the Hebrew word for pains. Oh, my. If he took our diseases and carried our pains... The good news of the gospel is we don't have to have them anymore. He took them. And at the cross, we exchange our sickness for his healing and health. Praise God. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. That's such wonderful news. It's, it's, It's the gospel. Praise God. But the gospel is also good news about what happened to rejection. Isaiah 53 and verse 3 says, He was despised and rejected of men. The one who had never known any rejection, who had perfect fellowship with the Father, 
the one who had never known rejection now is despised and rejected of men. The Bible says in John 1, he came into his own and his own received him not. The church of his day rejected him. The, the generation of his day rejected him. And the ultimate rejection is when this world says, we don't want you, we nail you to a cross. He was despised and rejected of men. And we need to see in, in this that, that this wonderful Jesus, this, this wonderful Jesus is taking all the rejection ever experienced by the fallen race of Adam upon himself. All the rejection the little baby feels when he's born to a mother addicted to crack cocaine and she can't take care of the baby and she takes it, leaves it on the steps of a church. All the rejection that that baby feels from his mother, Jesus took it that day. All the rejection that a child feels when he goes off to school and he looks a little different from the other kids and they, they call him fatty or dummy or stupid and all these things and the rejection that Jesus took it that day. All the rejection that a woman feels when her husband leaves her and forsakes her for a younger woman. All that, Jesus took it that day on Calvary. He was despised and rejected of men. Praise God. Folks, that's good news. If He took our rejection... That means we have His acceptance now with the Father. We exchange it for His acceptance right. with the Father. The same acceptance that Jesus has before the Father, I have now, praise God. Woo! That means that I'm a highly favored son of the King and that I have been invited to sit down at heaven's banquet table in the presence of the King as one of those in whom He delights. Praise God. So let me just say this. This is good news. If you grew up in a rejection background, you don't have to feel like a worm anymore. You don't have to feel like I'm no good, I'm a failure, I'm a creep, any of that stuff. He took all that so that you can become a highly favored son of God. That's the gospel. It's, it's good news. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. But also... The gospel is good news about what happened to poverty. Second Corinthians 8 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he became poor, so that we through his poverty might be rich or live in the abundance of God Almighty. Praise God. Wow. Really, all preaching and teaching on prosperity needs to start right there. Right there at that verse. He took our poverty so that in exchange we could live in the abundance of God Almighty. You know, you think about it. When Jesus hung on that cross, you can't get any more poor than that. He was hungry. He had not eaten for 24 hours. He was thirsty. That's one of the cries that came from his lips. I thirst. He was naked. Don't let any religious art deceive you. He hung before the world in utter shame. And he was destitute of all things. He owned nothing. The only thing he owned was his robe, and now the soldiers have it, and they're gambling for it at the foot of the cross. You can't get any more poor than being hungry, thirsty, naked, and owning nothing. That is abject poverty. And there on the cross, Jesus exhausted the poverty curse that came upon the fallen race of Adam when Adam and Eve sinned against God. He exhausted the poverty curse, praise God. He took it so that we could live in God's abundance and provision. Praise the Lord. That's good news. But the gospel is also good news about what happened to the curse. 
The Bible says in Galatians 3 and 13 that Christ redeemed us from the, cross, from the curse, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is anyone who hangeth upon a tree. Christ redeemed us from the curse, having become a curse for us. Now, we need to remember that we were all under the curse of the broken law. Whether it be the, the universal moral law of God or the written law of God, we were all under a curse. When our forefather, Adam and Eve, violated the commandment of God Almighty, the human race, and all, all that came from their loins came under the curse of the broken law. But when Jesus came, He took the curse This one who fulfilled the law completely, fulfilled it, never violated it in any part, filled it full. The only one who didn't have to live under the curse was him because he he wasn't under the curse of the broken law. He didn't break the law. But then he took our curse because we had. We had broken the law and we were under the curse and he took it and became a curse for us so that in exchange... We might live in the blessings of Abraham. Woo! We might live in this Holy Spirit life that we're enjoying. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. You know, when when he died, he died with a crown of thorns on his brow. You know what those thorns are a symbol of, a picture of? The curse. The earth also came under a curse. The, The earth came under a curse when Adam sinned. And God says, it'll be much easier for the earth to produce thorns and thistles than it will corn and milo. You have to work to make, produce corn and milo, but it, you don't have to work for it to produce thorns. It's come under a curse of thorns, and they took that, those thorns and crammed them to his brow, picturing the curse that he took upon himself that day on Calvary. Praise God. If he took, a cur- took the curse, I'm not going to live under it anymore. I am free and free indeed. I will not live under the curse. And can I say this? Don't put yourself back under legalism. Don't put yourself back under the law because I'll tell you what will happen. You put yourself back under it, you'll break it, and you'll be under the curse. Yes. Amen. Let's, live in, let's live in this new creation. Amen? Praise God. Well, this is a lot of good news. The gospel is also good news concerning what happened to the devil. Colossians 2 and verse 15 says that there on the cross, Jesus, to use the King James translation, spoiled principalities and powers. The RSV says he disarmed principalities and powers. That Greek word is actually a word for peeling the hide off of an animal, for skinning an animal, like you pull the hide off of a deer. So what it's saying is that on the cross, Jesus peeled the devil's hide, amen? He whipped him thoroughly, completely, and utterly stripped him of his authority, stripped him of any dignity that he might have thought he had, stripped him of his armament and his weapon. He peeled his hide, praise God. That means if you're getting kicked around by the devil, you're getting kicked around by a loser because he lost it that day. He was utterly defeated that day, and you can put your foot on him now. You can put your foot on him and rule over him in Christ Jesus the King. That's good news. The devil is a defeated devil. Glory be to God. Well, what wonderful news. No wonder Paul could write, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Whoa. He had seen what the gospel could do. 
He had seen the results of it. He had seen people pass from death unto life through the preaching of this wonderful story about Jesus. I want to make an appeal this morning. Let's pray for the church to get back to preaching the gospel. I'll tell you, so many of these churches are preaching little 15-minute ditties on a how to have a happy, balanced family, how to have... All those things are fine and good, but that's not what we need to be preaching. We need to be preaching Jesus. We need to be preaching the gospel and all, not just the historical event, but the spiritual significance of the historical event. What happened in that spirit world when Jesus died and rose again? We get to preaching the gospel again. Revival comes because the power of God is manifest through the preaching of the gospel. The most miracles that I've ever seen always have to do when I preach the gospel. Signs and wonders follow the preaching of the, the gospel. God just loves the, he loves the gospel. It's good news about his son, and he loves to confirm it with miracles and signs and wonders. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's pray together. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Oh, we just welcome the Holy Spirit, Lord. Just thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Just come in the person of your spirit now and walk down these aisles and walk among these pews and touch your people. Just welcome him. Believe the gospel this morning. If you're struggling with sickness, believe the good news about sickness that he took our infirmities and our diseases. He took them. Believe the gospel this morning. If you're struggling with rejection, believe the gospel that he was despised and rejected of man so that we could have his acceptance with the Father. Praise God. Just believe the gospel. If you're still struggling with that old man, that old, that old Adamic man, hear the good news. God killed him 2,000 years ago. God crucified Adam 2,000 years ago in the person of our representative, praise God. Nailed him to the cross. And a whole new order of beings has come forth. A whole new race according to this last Adam, the Lord Jesus, praise God, the new man. Believe the gospel. Father, we thank you and we bless you this morning. Help us not to be ashamed of the gospel. Help us to be proud of the gospel. Help us to love the gospel. Help us to share the gospel wherever we go. It's the power of God unto salvation to all mankind, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Thank you, Lord, for blessing us with this understanding, this revelation, this knowledge of the gospel. And we want to share it in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Brother Darman.